This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, making it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Brought to you by Subway, where winners eat. Everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse, along with you this weekend and throughout the holiday season for our hot stove editions of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us. And as has become a holiday tradition the past couple of seasons, we will use these next two shows, the day after Christmas, the day after New Year's, to take a look back at one of the great moments in Cleveland Indians history, their last World Series victory. The 1948 World Series will be joined by Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio shortly, and we'll have plenty of live audio, the radio broadcasts from some of the best moments of that 1948 World Series when the Indians defeated the Boston Braves. First, though, some news of the weekend heading into the Christmas holiday. The Indians, uh, it was load up on left-hander week as they signed three different veteran left-handed pitchers to minor league contracts, but they have that invite to major league camp. And when you look at left-hander Tom Gorzolani, lefty Joe Thatcher, and then also Ross Detweiler, another left-hander, all signed the contracts this week. They will be coming to camp looking to make this ball club, and they have some good major league experience under their belt. So that's your update on the transactions for the week gone by. Now stay tuned. When we come back, we'll get rolling with Tribe Talk and a look back at the 1948 World Series. The Indians and the Boston Braves coming your way shortly as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Indians radio network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, and we are very pleased to bring you two special shows the next two weeks talking about the 1948 World Series. Last time the Cleveland Indians won a World Series, we're joined by Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. And Bobby D, it's always fun in so many ways to look back at, at history, especially in this great game of baseball. And 1948, pretty special season for the Tribe. Well, one thing fans of today, Rosie, um, should uh, remember. Well, back in 1948, they went 20-6 and six in September, having to... Uh, 
uh, play the uh, Boston Red Sox in a historic playoff game, the first ever in the American League. But uh, we moved to 1948. Lou Boudreaux's the manager. Uh, he is the player manager of the baseball team. It's his seventh season as player manager for the Cleveland Indians. It all began in 1942 at the age of 24. Think about that, Rosie. At the age of 24, Bill Veck tabs him as his player manager, a shortstop, no less, a demanding position. But at 24, he leads a group, um, and he's now in his seventh year and uh, is a 30-year-old leading the Indians uh, eventually on to a World Series. And how they got to that point, was unique for that period of time, extremely unusual during that time that the Indians would have to go through that to get to the World Series. 1948 Indians, they post a record of 96-58, and 58, but it only ties them with the Boston Red Sox for the American League pennant, making necessary uh, the first ever playoff game in American League history. When you look at, at everything that went into this uh, World Series coming to Cleveland for just the second time, they had won it back in 1920, we'll pick up the national radio broadcasts with their pregame show prior to Game 3. The first two games of the World Series were in Boston against the Boston Braves. The team split those two games. But to give you an idea of the feeling in town, we pick up the pregame show with Mel Allen and Jim Britt on the national radio call. And we'll visit again with Bobby D. coming out of our next break. Gillette Cavalcade of Sports is on the air. From Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, Gillette presents the World Series. Good afternoon, baseball fans everywhere. This is Mel Allen with Jim Britt greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Boston Braves and Cleveland Indians get ready for their third game in this 1948 championship series. Gillette is on the air the year-round with on-the-spot reports of leading sports events. Gillette also broadcasts the major boxing match of the week every Friday night. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in 28 years, the World Series has come to Cleveland. And it has come to them with a suddenness, in a manner of speaking, that set off a celebration on Monday night after the Cleveland Indians had defeated the Boston Red Sox in the American League playoff. It set off a spontaneous celebration that was described by the cab driver that brought us from the railroad station to the ballpark as similar to the VJ Day celebration. There were some 67 cars on several special trains that left Boston last night that brought the World Series working crew, and that, of course, includes the two uh, special baseball team trains, to Cleveland. Some of them were a little late getting away, some of them a little late arriving, but everybody is here despite the fact that there was uh, a sort of a hurried, last-minute uh, touch to it all, and that's more or less in keeping with the way the engines won the pennant. They won it at the last minute, and so the excitement is still here, uh, sort of left over from Monday, you might say, and the fans are very much, uh, uh, very much excited about seeing their team in a World Series. This is something they've been dreaming about, mind you, since 1920. It was in 1920 that the Cleveland Indians won their last pennant. And let us talk about the Cleveland Indians for just a little while. We talked about the Boston Braves when we opened the World Series up in Boston. And we shall have uh, a lot to say about the Boston Braves, too. But as the series scene shifts, 
from the banks of the Charles River in Boston, from the wigwam of the Boston Braves to the teepee of the Cleveland Indians on the shorefront of Lake Erie in Ohio, we'll talk for the moment about these Cleveland Indians who waged a very successful and exciting pennant campaign to win the American League pennant in overtime. And they have come here to Municipal Stadium today to continue waging warfare against the Boston Braves in the third game of the 1948 World Series. It's going to be Gene Bearden, the left-hander, going against Vern Bickford, the right-hander. Yes, sir, the weather here today is certainly... Oh, there went a... Well, just listen. Couple of rockets. That's a typical Bill Vick demonstration. One of the greatest showmen in baseball. And uh, Bill likes to set off the rockets and the fireworks whenever he has the opportunity. I just hard to say, the weather today is more conducive to... Uh, to football. And speaking of football, while the rockets resound in the background, reminds me that my good friend Champ Pickens down in Montgomery, Alabama, is going to have one of the nicest Christmas presents in the pigskin world that you could possibly imagine. The annual Blue-Gray game on December the 25th, which will uh, come to you folks over many of these uh, same uh, mutual stations. That's December the 25th. Champ is getting into the hospital. And uh, I hope he gets out in good shape because... We're all going to look forward to that wonderful football Christmas present December 25th, the Blue-Gray game, which will come to you under the sponsorship of the Gillette Safety Razor Company over many of these uh, mutual stations. Now the umpires have come to home plate, ladies and gentlemen. The lineups are just about ready. They were a little late in uh, being given out today by the respective managers, but my co-worker, Jim Britt, has them, and uh, he's been running around in this uh, murky weather, trying to get the lineup for some reason. Or other, they were, they, there's, all, there's all this confusion, as we mentioned to you in the beginning, because of the late arrival of trains today. And uh, everything is just on a little late basis. That is the pregame show prior to Game 3 of the 1948 World Series. Stay with us. We'll be back with the first pitch in the top half of the first inning when we return after this timeout as Tribe Talk continues on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series. Last time the Indians won the World Championship, defeating the Boston Braves four games to two. And we are going to feature Game 3, the first home game for the Tribe in that year's Fall Classic. In just a moment, we'll pick it up in the top half of the first inning. But uh, Bobby D, just to get there, and we touched on it a little bit in our first segment, wasn't easy for the Tribe, despite having a great season. Right, again, 96 wins. Uh, but let's set the scene again for the audience uh, on how we got to the historic playoff game in which Gene Bearden, uh, Lou Boudreau, shocked everyone by naming Gene Bearden the rookie southpaw to start that historic playoff game. Go back to September 19th. The Indians are two and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox. We're playing a Sunday doubleheader at Municipal Stadium. 75,382 fans, 75,382 fans. The Tribe wins both games of the doubleheader, and the Red Sox end up dropping a doubleheader at Detroit. So now the Tribe is just a half a game out of first place with 10 games to go. 
The Red Sox come to visit Cleveland just a few days later on September 22nd. It's a makeup game, a one-game makeup game on a Wednesday night in Cleveland. 76,772 cheer on Bob Feller as he pitches the Tribe to victory. When the World Series, after beginning in Boston, the home field for the Braves, Game 3 was in Cleveland. The series was tied at one win apiece, and Gene Bearden was on the hill as we pick up the radio broadcast in the top half of the first inning. The review of the series so far, Johnny Sane bested Bob Feller in the first inning by a score of one to nothing. And yesterday, Bob Lemon came back to pitch superbly against the Boston Braves and set them down with one unearned run at eight hits. While for Boston, Spawn, Barrett, and Potter toiled, Spawn taking the defeat. Tommy Holmes will be the first man up for the National League champions, and he has one hit in eight official trips to the plate. He drove in the winning run in the first game, you'll recall. And today, he'll be looking at something he hasn't seen in the National League, namely a southpaw knuckler because Bearden throws a good knuckleball. Holmes is the left-hander. Left-handed Bearden gets that. Here's the first pitch. And it's outside, a fastball for ball one. There was no batting practice, nor was there any infield practice because of the inclement weather. The tarpaulin was on the field and was removed only at the last moment. And there were all kinds of wild rumors about the postponement of the game, none of which was based on fact. The outfield is set to the left a bit, and there seems to be apparently no wind. Whatever there is is blowing out toward left center. Here's the pitch. There's a drive that goes on the first hop to Boudreaux. His quick throw to Eddie Robinson is in time for the first out of the game. It was a line drive that kicked up the dirt at the feet of the Cleveland manager. And Tommy Holmes is out six to three, short to first. Alvin Dark, the Braves shortstop, comes up. He has a total of just one hit in eight official trips to the plate. The Braves, of course, have had only ten hits so far in the series play, while Cleveland has had twelve. There are persons still arriving here, and it's far from filled at the moment, but it is, of course, a sellout. Bearden winds up to pitch to Dark, the first pitch. That took off. That might have been a knuckleball. It was high and wide to a right-handed batter, and the count is one ball. You never saw such confusion in your life as a result of the late arrival of the train. Cleveland was a veritable madhouse. Bearden winds up. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. One and one. That was a curveball that broke over to a right-hand batter. Johnny Cooney is doing the coaching for the Braves at first base, and Billy Southworth, the Boston manager, is doing the coaching at third. The Braves, of course, are wearing their uniforms of traveling gray, and today the Clevelanders are wearing their white home uniforms. The wind-up, the pitch, low for ball two. Two balls, one strike to count. The scoreboard is in dead center field, and because of the batting background, that section is unoccupied. It's all green. And an excellent background is provided for the batters. Bearden takes his windup. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. That comes back into the crowd, and the count is two balls and two strikes. In the on-deck circle is Mike McCormick. Jeff Heath, broken ankle and crutches, is still with the Boston Braves. He's a former Clevelander, you know. When the Braves arrived this morning, there were approximately 15,000 gathered at the depot, hopeful that the first contingent would be their own beloved Cleveland Indians. Two and two the count on Dark. He stands straight away. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It was a curveball. And Dark strikes out. That's the second out of the first inning. And Mike McCormick comes up. Mike McCormick has been at bat six times in the series and has two hits. He got two of the eight hits 
Boston collected yesterday. And Earl Torgerson, who is not in this batting order, got two more. McCormick is a right-hander from Ventura, California. The outfield straightaway, not deep. Here's the pitch from Bearden. And it's a swing and a miss. He threw in a tantalizing slow curveball. McCormick seemed to be off balance and swung rather anemically at it. And the count is one strike. There are two men out, nobody on. The outfield not deep. The deepest is left fielder Dale Mitchell. The pitch. Swing and a miss. Bearden has been great for the Indians this year. The greatest game he pitched was that five-hitter. The payoff game against the Boston Red Sox last Monday. The game that brought Cleveland its first league championship in 28 years. Bearden says yes to the sign. Winds up. Fires one. Strike three. Swinging. Bearden turned in a great first inning. No runs, no hits, no errors, and none left for the Braves. The score is nothing-nothing. So the teams were scoreless heading to the bottom half of the first inning. We'll pick it up with some run scoring action for the Tribe and what would turn out to be a 2-0 victory in front of their home fans in Game 3 of the 1948 World Series when we return after this break on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you, joined by Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series, the Indians winning the world title four games to two over the Boston Braves. And we are listening in to portions of Game 3, the game underway. We had listened to the top half of the first inning, and we'll pick things up in the bottom of the fourth inning with the Indians in front by a score of one nothing, looking for some insurance. And Bobby D., they, they would get that insurance thanks to an RBI single from Jim Hegan, the Indians catcher and, and obviously the dad of, of uh, former great broadcaster and, and good friend Mike Hegan. His dad, not necessarily known as a force in the lineup offensively, but man, what he did behind the plate was something special. Yeah, Mike's dad, uh, Mr. Jim Hegan, was considered the best defensive catcher in baseball at that time. And any offense he gave you was uh, just the cherry on the top of the Sunday and a big RBI in Game 3 of the 48 World Series to uh, um, give the Tribe a 2 nothing lead, uh, that extra insurance run. Uh, it was the first World Series game uh, in Cleveland since 1920. Um, 70,000 people were on hand to watch that game. Uh, what a thrilling night it had to be for Mr. Hegan. Now let's listen in to the bottom half of the fourth inning. Again, it's Game 3 of the 1948 World Series. The Indians and Boston Braves tribe in front by a score of one nothing. heading into the bottom of the fourth as we pick up the action. Cleveland has a one nothing lead. Despite the fact the Indians have been out hit by the Braves, three to one, Bearden has been very effective. The pitch, and that's outside. Kellner was all set to swing and decided to let that fast one go. It's three and nothing. And again, Billy Southworth has given the wag sign to the bullpen, and Bill Boisel starts winding up. He's a big right-hander, the ex-giant. The windup, Bigford pitches, ball four. That's the fifth base on ball Bickford is given in three full innings. He's been wild, but he has been effective. Had there been perfect support, we'd be watching a nothing-nothing baseball game. But Cleveland cashed in the break. 
In the first game, it was the Braves who cashed in the break. And yesterday, break or not, Lemon was too good. Walt Judnick, the right fielder, is the batter. He got the second base on balls his first time up. He has no hits in four World Series trips. And he's a left-hander. Strike call, a curveball that curved over the outside corner. Walter is wearing a turtleneck sweater, as is Bill McKechnie and as are some of the other Indians. The outfield is deep to the right. Tommy Holmes in right field is out on the track at the 300-foot mark. The pitch, fastball high, one and one. They played Judnick as a full hitter. One ball, one strike. This is the last of the fourth with Cleveland leading the Braves in the third game of the World Series, one nothing. Here it comes. There's a high foul ball that is going out of play. Back into the stands, about 20 feet beyond Macy's reach, to the right of the screen, back of the plate. One ball, two strikes. Canaster apparently has been waved over even more deeply into right center field. And he's stationed at about the 350-foot mark. About 30 feet short of the 380-foot sign. Bickford takes a stretch. Kellner leads off first. Strike three, swinging. That was a curveball that seemed to take off. It had a liveness about it. And that's the first strikeout for Bickford. One man out, first baseman Eddie Robinson comes up. He flied out to left field his first time at bat. He has one hit in seven trips. Bickford comes from New Canton, Virginia. A right-hander, he pitches, and there's a drive to left field for a base hit. And it is held to a single with Keltner stopping at second as a result of alert fielding by left fielder Mike McCormick. Three of the Braves went over to back up at third base. That was hit on a line, and it gives Robinson two out of eight for the series. That is the second Cleveland hit. Jim Hegan, the Cleveland catcher, comes up. He has one hit in seven trips. His first time up in this game, he fouled out to the catcher. Field moves around to the left a bit. Boisel continues to bear down, warming up. Here's a pitch. There's a drive that goes to center for a big hit. And after Fields on the second off, here's the throw to third, and it's 2 nothing in favor of Cleveland. Kellner had no trouble sprinting all the way to the plate. And rather than throw to the plate and give Robinson an opportunity to go all the way to third base, Sinatra threw to third base. So they're runners on first and second. Egan has driven in a run. The second Cleveland run of the game, the sixth Cleveland run of the series. The Indians lead 2 nothing, and Gene Bearden comes up. The infield is in a little on the left side. Bearden doubled and scored a run his last time at that. There's still just one man out. There's a drive that goes to left field. Base hit. And here comes 
would be Big Bill Boisel. So the Indians had a 2-0 lead after four innings of play. Stay with us. We'll come back and listen to the top half of the ninth inning as the Tribe tries to wrap up game three and take a two games to one lead back in the 1948 World Series. That's after this break as Tribe Talk continues on the Cleveland Indians radio network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you for our holiday edition of Tribe Talk and the Two weeks here during the Christmas and New Year's time. We are taking a look back at the 1948 World Series, the last time the Indians won the World Series championship. And we'll get back to the live audio of some of that World Series. Game three we are working off of this week. And we'll also hear from Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio shortly. But first, a couple of reminders. You can follow us on Twitter, at Indians Radio is our Twitter address. And more importantly, Tickets are still on sale for the Indians Tribe Fest event presented by KeyBank. This year's event, a little bit different in terms of location. It will take place on Saturday, January the 30th. This is now the fourth annual Tribe Fest presented by KeyBank. And instead of taking place at the ballpark this year with the many renovations going on at Progressive Field, the event moves to the Aloft Cleveland downtown in the Flats East Bank. And it should be a great event. It will be a little bit smaller this year, so the Indians are encouraging fans to pick up their tickets as soon as they can. Tickets are on sale right now. General admission tickets, just 5 bucks for adults and kids. And tickets available online at indians.com slash tribefest. Again, tickets online at indians.com slash tribefest. And because it is at the Aloft Hotel, a smaller venue this year due to the renovations at Progressive Field. So if you don't have your tickets yet for Tribe Fest and you want to come down, it's January the 30th this year. That's a Saturday afternoon, the fourth annual Tribe Fest. Plenty of parking down at the Flats East Bank, or you can take RTA down there as well. And it's going to be divided into two sessions. There'll be a morning session from 9 a.m. and then drift on into the afternoon till about 2 o'clock and then a 2 o'clock to 7 o'clock session. And uh, there are autograph opportunities. Many of this year's players will be there, including Corey Kluber, Jan Gomes, Lonnie Chisenhall, Frankie Lindor, and Jason Kipnis, the all-star from this year's team. So a great lineup already of players who have uh, committed. And, of course, that could change, but uh, they all seem excited about coming back for a weekend in January to say hi to the fans and kind of that last blast of winter before heading off to spring training and getting ready for the new season. And there are autograph opportunities, and uh, there are prices online there that you can check out to be a part of the autograph opportunities that are a part of TribeFest. So a lot of good stuff going on. Just go to indians.com slash TribeFest to get your tickets uh, for both general admission and the autograph sessions and to be on hand for TribeFest January the 30th. And again, not at Progressive Field, but down at the Aloft Hotel down in the Flats East Bank. We now return to more of our look back at the 1948 World Series. Going into the top of the ninth inning at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. And it's the top of the order for the Boston Braves. They trail 2 to nothing, And it's Tommy Holmes up there, left-hand hitter. 
over for 3 on the afternoon. Grounded short, bounced out to the pitcher and grounded second. Gene Bearden throws high inside for ball one to Tommy. Tommy Holmes, a 5'10", 175-pounder from Brooklyn, New York. Lou Boudreaux moves Larry Doby over into straightaway center. Larry was over into left center. Kenny Keller laying in close at third in anticipation of a possible bunt. Gene Burden delivers. Tommy Holmes looks at a fastball that's right in there for a call strike. Wasn't too fast. Got the inside corner just above the knees. Joe Gordon is laying two strides to the right of second deep. Eddie Robinson at first base. Wide of the line, about 15 feet. Here's your pitch. Swung on, hit foul down the third baseline is Tommy Holmes. Trying to hit in the left field. There's a man leaning over a field box out there trying to get that ball for a souvenir. He not only did not get the ball, but he lost his hat and had to call the stadium attendant over to give him his fedora. One ball, two strikes to count now on Tommy Holmes, leading off in the top of the ninth inning. Outfield shades him slightly toward left. Gene Bearden delivers. Holmes swings and fouls it off to the left of the plate and to the left of our broadcasting booth into the upper deck. And it's a souvenir for somebody. Holmes trying to get the same type of hit, and he got in the eighth inning of the first game to win that ball game for the Braves. one nothing. A line drive down the left field line. Left-hander Gene Bearden ready. Throws. Holmes takes that knuckler, but it's inside. And court low, and the count is 2-2. Two strikes. Top of the ninth inning, two to nothing, favor of Cleveland. Gene Bearden ready. Boy that was born in Helena, Arkansas. Delivers the pitch that swung on. Hit back to the mound. Grabbed by one hop by Bearden. Throws on over to Eddie Robinson, and Tommy Holmes is out. Bearden to Robinson. Still is one down on the top of the ninth inning as Al Dark comes to the plate. Bearden lives in Los Angeles, California now, but he was born in Helena, Arkansas. He's sort of a, an Irish Indian extraction. And you know, the uh, weather has uh, brightened beautifully. Lots of blue in the sky now. After all morning rain, sun is out. Gene Bearden ready. Pitching to the right hand, hitting Al Dark. Low into the dirt. Ball one. One ball, no strike. Outfield playing dark toward left. Not too extreme. Infield shaded around toward third. Dark struck out, fly to right, and double to left in that order. Bearden into his wind-up throws. There's the pitch that swung on, hit out over second. There's Gordon in back of the bank, up to the ball, post the first in time, 40 out.
Jordan again ready, throws. Pitch is swung on, foul off upstairs, out of play. Hit right in front of the press box and bounded back down on the playing field. It is now approximately 25 minutes to 3 Eastern uh, Standard Time. Ball game got underway at 1 o'clock. Now in 35 minute ball game so far. Rather, rather fast game as was the first one. Gene Burden throws, pitch high outside. And the count now is one ball, two strikes on Mike McCormick. Two outs in the top of the ninth inning. Cleveland leading the Braves, two to nothing. Gene Bearden, great figure on the mound, into the windup. Brown comes the left arm, the pitch is high outside. Bearden trying to get Mike McCormick to go after a bad pitch. And now Jimmy Hegan decides to call time to walk out to talk to Bearden. Try to settle him down. Come on, Gene. Don't try to get over it. Too much in a hurry. Just take your time. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. We've not had too much uh, confirmation, so to speak, as regards tomorrow's pitchers. Shouldn't be tall surprised. He may be saying the fellow right back at it. That's uh, sheer speculation at the present time. Now the pitch. And it's high for ball three. Go to the outside corner, but high. So you got a full count now on Mike McCauley. With two down, top of the ninth inning. Nobody on, and the Braves behind two runs. Gene Bearden into his windup, payoff pitch. It swung on and grounded foul off to the left of the plate with Billy Topworth scooping it up. Bob Elliott on deck will hit next if Mike McCormick gets on. The series thus far has been marked primarily by outstanding pitching for the most part. Gene Burden ready. And the payoff pitch is swung on. It's a pop-off out toward short. Lou Boudreaux's under it, and he makes the catch. And the Indians win the ball game by a score of two to nothing. And the Indian players all run up and grab the hand. Uh, Gene Bearden, the photographers, watch the uh, pitcher and the group of Indians and the flashlight of uh, the ball flash and pictures are taken of the elated Indians as they win the third game of the series behind the high pit and shutout pitcher of Gene Bearden. So the Indians win it by that 2 nothing score to take a two games to one lead. And uh, Bobby D, the, the series far from over, obviously, but two more games left in Cleveland. And you had mentioned last segment, 70,000 on hand for game three. And uh, that was chump change compared to what they they had the next two games. People turned down in bigger numbers than that, numbers that you'd never see in Major League Baseball. 81,897 packed municipal stadium down on the lakefront for game four. On Saturday, October 9th, the Cleveland Indians, again, in a pitcher's duel, win 2-1. to one. Um, Just an incredible effort by the Tribe's Steve Gromek. He outduels Johnny Sane for the 2-1 to one win. Uh, Lou Boudreaux, one of the hitting stars once again. Larry Doby, of course, one of the stars of uh, all-stars of the 48 club, uh, drives in a run with a 410-foot home run. Uh, just it had to be incredibly electric. Just think about it. 
81,000 fans in a two-to-one ball game where you're hanging on every pitch in a World Series game, that just had to be remarkable. And, and you would figure it to be the case for a team that wins the World Series, but the names that, that you're rattling off we've talked about, Bob Feller, Bob Lemon, Lou Boudreaux, Larry Doby, some of the greats in the game at their time. Absolutely. Um, one of the things, if you know, go back and look at the 1948 season, and uh, Lou Boudreaux ends up second in batting uh, to the great Ted Williams. Uh, the splendid splinter hits 369 to lead the league, and Lou Boudreaux is second with a 355 batting average. Third that year was outfielder Dale Mitchell of the Cleveland Indians, who hit 336. So uh, just remarkable. Joe DiMaggio leads the league that year with 39 home runs. Indians infielders Joe Gordon and Kenny Keltner, second and third base. They were second and third in the league in home runs with 32 and 31. Just a remarkable, as you say, um, the great names in uh, baseball lore. Uh, but I just come back to a two-to-one ball game, 81,000 fans riding on every pitch. What a wonderful day at the ballpark that had to be in Cleveland, Ohio. And that set up a chance for the Indians to win the World Series at home the following day, a Sunday afternoon, and they packed him in again, but it didn't quite go as expected. No, Bob Feller, unfortunately, did not have a very good day. The uh, The Boston Braves brought out the bats. They unleashed 12 hits in an 11-5 to win and uh, stopped the uh, you know, Cleveland fans from celebrating at home a World Series victory. 86,288 saw Warren Spahn beat Bob Feller in that game, but we had to get it done the very next day, or we were able to get it done the very next day in uh, uh, Boston in Game 6 on uh, Monday, October 11th. Only 40,000 in Little uh, Braves Field um, were at the game when the Indians ended up winning 4-3. to three. So they did that the next day. We have to wait a week, and we will review that game and the Indians winning their World Series in 1948 next week. Bobby D., great to have you with us. Have an outstanding Christmas, and we'll catch up with you again next week. Uh, Merry Christmas and uh, a happy and healthy New Year to you and yours, Rosie. This is Tribe Talk, and again, we'll be back with the clincher, Game 6 from Boston of the 1948 World Series for the Tribe on next week's show. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. You've been listening to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, making it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Brought to you by Subway, where winners eat.